In this second bonus episode of Breaking the Digital Spell, I want to take a moment to talk about using social media in one of the most contentious and stressful seasons of the year, election season. With midterm elections coming up in early November, chances are you've registered to vote and know who you'll be voting for to represent you in the House, Senate, and who will serve in your local and state offices. And you've probably have indicated some of those choices on your social media page. You've probably seen other people do the same, and maybe they're not as friendly about it as you'd like for them to be. Social media and politics are now permanently intertwined, and I don't think it's wrong to say that our political discourse has largely suffered from it. Social media leads to insanely toxic behavior this time of year. And with midterms on the way, I wanted to spend some time outlining three things you can do to survive that toxicity and make this season less ugly or dramatic or difficult. The first thing you can do is constantly remind yourself that the world social media presents to you doesn't always reflect the world you actually live in. Social media platforms create information bubbles that represent and reinforce certain segments of the world at large. And we know this from demographical data about who uses social media platforms. With the exception of Facebook and YouTube, the vast majority of social media users are in the 18 to 29-year-old range and prefer to use Instagram and Snapchat. Twitter caters to individuals with more middle to upper class incomes and education levels, and Instagram is perhaps the one place you can go to tune out political content on a consistent and reliable basis. And when you think about how you got the social media timeline that you see on a regular basis, it makes sense. Your Facebook friends are most likely people that you have some personal connection to in some way, while those you follow on Twitter are more likely tailored to your hobbies and your interests and your passions. You also probably follow major news outlets, commentators, and political figures to keep up with politics. But since there's no real way you can possibly follow and keep up with all the outlets and commentators and political figures, you pick a handful of them that you want to pay attention to. What you see in your timeline only represents a selected fragment of the world that you actually live in. During election seasons, the rhetoric begins to amp up as the apocalyptic implications of each election get more and more dire. Despite our insistence to the contrary, though, each election is not the most important election in our lifetime, and especially midterm elections. But as the stakes get higher, the lines we are willing to draw in the sand get more intense and serious. And all of this is delivered to us through a social media timeline that does give you information about the world that you live in, but not all of the information that you might need to know and consider. And because we spend so much time on social media, we become convinced that what's going on in social media is what actually goes on in the world that we actually live in. Your social media feeds might convince you that Republicans or Democrats are monstrous and evil individuals. And yet when you're not busy refreshing left Twitter or right Twitter, you're likely to treat your next door neighbor Republican or Democrat 
the same way that you would treat any neighbor. The rhetoric, implications, and consequences, and analysis that goes on in the social media world is oftentimes only sustainable in the social media world. And taking it out into the streets is not always possible or feasible. And oftentimes it doesn't reflect the world you actually and truly live in. And you need to remind yourself of this constantly and regularly and repeatedly. The second thing you can do is deliberately monitor and limit the amount of time you spend on social media during an election season. Everything about social media is designed to keep us coming back for more and more. Between the color schemes and the UI and even the sound effects, social media is designed to be a pleasing engagement experience and to get us hooked in coming back for more and more. And in political seasons, this problem only gets amplified because the addictive and repeated behavior of social media is now tied to a subject matter that has serious implications. Social media tries to convince you that you can handle an unlimited intake of content and that because this content is mediated to you through your timelines and is chosen by algorithms, that managing this unlimited intake of content is doable but it's not. Studies have shown that there is an increase in anxiety and depression that corresponds with high amounts of social media usage. When that usage revolves around consuming content that is apocalyptic or toxic, like it usually gets around election time, that effect gets more pronounced. We cannot handle a limitless amount of content, and especially if that content is angry, hostile, outrageous, provocative, sensational, or outlandish. And that content usually peaks every two years around October and November. Some of us can't leave social media. As a social media manager, part of my job is to understand how social media works, both as a producer and as a consumer. I need to know, as a social media user, how social media works, which in turn affects how I use social media for my job. Some of us have writing, speaking, and ministry platforms that rely on social media to maintain our presence on the internet, and getting off social media would have negative effects on the work that we do. And yet the vast majority of us, and I include myself in this, want to believe that we have an important social media presence and that our voices are significant and necessary and to disengage from social media is to deny the world something important that it needs and that's just not the case we don't need to be on social media we want to be on social media and we want to stay on social media because social media convinces us that we can both consume a limitless amount of content and that somehow the content we put out is important and necessary and somehow stands out among the limitless amount of content social media platforms process each minute. And each like, comment, retweet, and share only reinforces this belief that people want to hear what we have to say when there's a strong likelihood that the vast majority of people never see what you actually post or at best glance at it and move on to hundreds of other posts from people who believe the same thing. Now, I'm not saying all of this to criticize anybody. Again, I fit in this category of people who believe that their social media voices are important, 
But at an honest glance, nobody would really care if I quit Twitter or Facebook. I'm saying this because if we can break the digital spell that convinces us that we can't leave social media, especially during something as urgent and dire as an election season, then that means you can take a break from social media and everything will be okay. And if you can take a break, if your job or brand isn't tied to you being active on social media, you should. Even though my job is to manage social media, I try to take one day off throughout the week, usually it's on Saturday, where I don't check social media at all, not even my own personal accounts. And honestly, it's pretty nice. I can enjoy the day with my wife or friends without seeing something ugly or nasty on Twitter that can put me in a foul mood when otherwise I would be perfectly happy and good in the world that I actually live in had I not checked Twitter. I can read a book or watch a movie without getting distracted by someone's passionate but misinformed rant on Facebook. And every time I get back on social media after being off, I find the world has been just fine, relatively speaking, without me. And that's a freeing thing. It feels good. But even if you can't take a day off each week, and I'm willing to bet that you can if you tried, at the very least, you can set limits for yourself on when you will use social media. Maybe you don't take your phone to bed and scroll endlessly on Twitter or Facebook or Reddit as you fall asleep. Maybe your phone is away from the bed and so it's not the first thing that you see when you open your eyes each day. And that social media is also not the first thing that you see when you open your eyes each day. Find ways to be creative about monitoring and reducing the amount of social media that you consume because you can't consume an unlimited amount of it, especially when what you're consuming is stuff that is not going to be good for your mental and emotional health. You need to take a break. Finally, the third thing that you can do and the best thing you can do to survive social media during an election season is to love your neighbor as yourself. Just to be clear, though, there's nothing wrong at all with using social media for political purposes during election cycles. I'm not trying to convince you of that at all. The reason why social media is so integral in modern political discourse is because social media is perhaps the best tool available for facilitating that discourse. And yet that discourse is oftentimes destructive. Never has it been easier to savagely and viciously tear into people who disagree with you. Never has it been easier to demonize people who don't think like you. Never has it been easier to assume the worst in someone and act on it. You might observe this behavior, you might participate in this behavior, and you might receive some of this behavior. But if you use social media, you can't escape it. So how do you survive it? Simple. You love your neighbor as yourself. No qualifiers attached. This is such a radical idea in our current day because the current political impulse is to do everything that we can to legitimize the idea that the other side is evil. And if the other side is truly and purely evil, why do we need to love them? Why do we need to be civil to them? Labeling the other side as evil is a full step beyond them simply being wrong and moves the discussion away from governance and policy considerations into the realm of moral conflict. You don't compromise with evil, you fight it. And if you fight it, you fight them until they are subdued. 
If the stakes are your existence and your way of life, why tolerate the idea of peace with those who would destroy you? This impulse loses steam once we realize that we don't want to be treated the way we usually treat others. We don't like being harassed. We don't like being demonized. We don't like being threatened. We don't like being vilified. And if we don't like being treated like this, why should we want to treat others like that? Even if you're already being harassed, demonized, threatened, and vilified by someone or some group, why would you want to make anyone else feel the same way you feel? Social media removes the ability for us to empathize with other human beings. Because our interactions are mediated through digital constructs that represent us, also known as avatars, we forget the fact that behind that avatar that posted something that you passionately disagree with is a human being who, if your circumstances were different, you might enjoy the company of. You might laugh at the same jokes. You might watch the same TV shows or movies. You might enjoy the same food or have the same favorite restaurant. Maybe you like the same genres of music or have the same favorite bands. You might be able to relate to the time one of you lost a loved one. You might have the same hopes, the same fears, the same nightmares. You might discover that the people you think are evil, vile, backwards, uncultured, or violent have more in common with you than you might think, and that the things you have in common are more important than the things you don't. Empathy knows no political boundaries. Empathy knows no party lines. Empathy doesn't have a platform. Empathy is a human response to other human beings. And the reason we don't treat other human beings the way we want to be treated is because social media has made us forget how to empathize with others. If we are to return sanity into our political discourse, both offline and online, we must resist the temptation to demonize the other. We must learn to love our neighbor as ourselves and treat them the way we want to be treated. It won't change American political culture overnight. It will require you to swallow your impulse to bite back and lash out. It will require you to be humble. And yet, no positive change will occur without it. Social media does not reflect the world you actually live in. Nor can you stay on social media for limitless amounts of time without experiencing negative emotional and psychological effects as a result. Social media makes it easier than ever to hate our neighbor. If we are to survive election seasons, we must remind ourselves that the world outside our computer screen and cell phones is the world we actually and truly live in, and that we should take a break from the world that our screens present to us every once in a while. And above all, we should remember that behind the account on your screen is a human being who's probably more like you than you want to admit. Whether you go out and vote in the midterm elections this year or whether you stay at home, I hope that you will put these things into practice and watch as maybe you see the people around you change as a result of the way you treat others. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of Breaking the Digital Spell, you can get more episodes like this wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. And you can like the show on Facebook and follow the show on Twitter where we post more engaging and informative articles related to the topics of our main episodes throughout the week. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it on your social media pages wherever you have them and consider subscribing and leaving a five-star review as well. If you want to leave less than five stars, I'll read whatever you have to say and I'll take it into honest consideration. It's what I hope people would do to me. My name is Austin and together we are breaking the digital spell.